Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. Okay, I'll cut to the chase. There's one simple way in which Twitter could save this whole buyout deal and force Elon Musk to honour the contract he signed. The obvious strategy is to permanently ban him from Twitter and tell him that the buyout price is now $69 billion. One of my favourite journalists, Matt Levine, came up with this idea a few months ago, and it just simply makes sense. Without access to Twitter, Elon would probably have to start paying for advertising for Tesla, he'd have to torment the SEC by fax, he'd have to pump Dogecoin by taking out ads in newspapers, and worst of all, he'd have to hit on Canadian pop stars in person. I think we all know he'd cave in pretty quickly. A few of you are probably thinking that he could get around such a ban by having the dancing Tesla bot open a Twitter account, but this wouldn't work for two reasons. One, because the Tesla bot is not real. I'm sorry to break this to some of you, it's kind of like the Hyperloop, but with a lower CGI budget. It's basically Kimball Musk in a spandex suit. And number two, as we all know, Twitter doesn't allow bots. Anyhow, it doesn't appear that this is what's happening. Instead, it looks like Twitter is suing for a specific performance, which means that they're asking a Delaware judge to order Musk to pay the full $44 billion and actually close the deal and buy Twitter, an asset that it appears he no longer wants to own. Okay, so possibly the best way to understand the nature of modern merger contracts is through reading Broken Promises, The Role of Reputation in Private Equity Contracting and Strategic Default, an academic paper by Stephen Davidoff Solomon, a Berkeley professor and former M&A lawyer, who's possibly America's leading expert on corporate law. He wrote the book Gods at War, a must-read for every aspiring investment banker. I've put a link to it in the show notes. The paper by Kane Davidoff, Solomon and Mackays looks at private equity acquisitions and how deal contracts changed over the financial crisis of 2007-2008. During this period, around 20% of private equity buyout deals broke. These firms were able to walk away from underwater transactions as a result of the contracting structure, which permitted the private equity firm to breach their acquisition contract with a limited penalty. In the pre-financial crisis private equity contract, specific performance or the ability to seek legal enforcement of the agreement was generally barred and the contracts limited a private equity firm's monetary damages for breach of the contract to approximately 3% of the transaction value, a cap known as a reverse termination fee. 
after the financial crisis, due to all of the deal breaks, reverse termination fees increased on all deals, but were on average 50% higher for private equity firms with a previous history of non-performance. The fact that specific performance clauses were uncommon in buyout deals before the financial crisis implies that private equity firm reputation was seen as a bonding mechanism. After a high number of deal breaks occurred, merger agreements changed and specific performance became much more common. The paper shows that in deal breaks, bidders generally pay out 1-3% to of the target enterprise value in order to exit transactions if specific performance is barred, but pay up to 10% or more of the target's value when specific performance is permitted. So this brings us to the merger agreement signed between Elon Musk and Twitter. In a buyout deal, buyers typically do some due diligence before signing a merger agreement, but they're not required to, and Elon Musk, as we well know, chose not to. But after the due diligence has been done, they then sign a merger agreement, and that's not an agreement to analyze and consider buying a company. It's a firm agreement to buy the company. This is what Musk signed. People unfamiliar with these deals are arguing that he relied on Twitter's public filings to make his decision, and if those are inaccurate, he has a shot of breaking the deal. This, first of all, is not the case, as inaccurate just doesn't cut it. The issue has to be materially adverse, and in Delaware company law, that's a very high standard. Additionally, if you read the merger agreement in question, you can see that the contract specifically narrows the circumstances under which Musk could escape the deal by claiming a company material adverse effect. The contract specifically excludes any matter disclosed by Twitter in its SEC filings, other than the risk factors and forward-looking statement sections of those disclosures. So this argument is a bit of a non-starter. When a merger agreement is signed, there's normally a time lag between the signing and the deal's completion, and this is something that just allows the buyer to pull finances together in order to pay for the deal. During this period, more of the market price risk rests with the buyer rather than the seller, and this is by design. The buyer usually pays a premium to the market price of the stock in order to get the deal done, so even if the overall market rises before deal completion, the seller is usually still happy with the merger consideration. So sellers don't often try to back out. Now, if buyers were able to easily back out when the overall market fell, they could simply use merger agreements as call options on companies, which would be extremely disruptive to the running of public companies and a frankly dishonest way of doing business. So merger agreements are specifically written to prevent this type of thing from happening. And as the Davidoff-Solomon paper pointed out, the contracts have been tightened up over the years so that buyers can't change their minds on a whim and come up with some minor error in the financial statements to back out of a deal. 
I should note that Delaware courts don't typically have much time for buyers trying to back out of deals at all, and there's only one case in the entire history of Delaware corporate law, the Acorn case, where a court found that a target company suffered a material adverse effect, allowing a would-be buyer to abandon an announced merger. And when the Acorn case was judged in 2018, people were surprised by the judgment, describing it as a unicorn, something no one ever expected to see. Now, Elon Musk was shouting about too many bots being a reason to back out of the deal a few months ago when tech stock prices first started falling. But this is, for obvious reasons, not the angle that his lawyers chose to pursue in their attempt to break the deal, because it has almost no chance of succeeding. His lawyers will have actually read the merger agreement. It's clear that Musk has no real evidence that Twitter's estimates of daily monetizable users are wrong. He instead has a feeling that they are, and not only that, he initially announced that he wanted to buy Twitter in order to fix its bot problem. The angle that his lawyers chose in order to help him break this agreement is not that there are too many bots, it's instead that when he asks for data about how many of the monetizable daily active users are bots, Twitter doesn't give him enough information to calculate this himself. So why does this matter? Well, Musk's lawyers didn't go after the representations in the agreement because this was a dead end. They instead decided to accuse Twitter of breaching a covenant in the deal. One of the covenants of the deal is that Twitter shall furnish promptly all information concerning the business, properties, and personnel of the company as may reasonably be requested in writing. In each case, for any reasonable business purpose related to the consummation of the transactions contemplated by this agreement. His lawyers will have told him that he can't walk away even if there are too many bots. Instead, the strategy is to keep asking for more information until Twitter doesn't answer one of the questions and then claim a breach of this covenant. Now, this is a much better pretext for getting out of the deal than claiming an MAE, but it's not amazing. They're still grasping at straws, mainly because it isn't clear how providing this data has a reasonable business purpose related to the consummation of the transaction. So it was pretty clear two months ago that Musk wanted to get out of the deal, and I made a video and podcast at the time describing it as a broken deal. Nonetheless, Twitter announced that they would share the firehose of data with Musk so that the deal could go ahead, and they did. They provided all sorts of information to Musk and his team, and he continued to ask for more and more data, possibly with the goal of backing out of the deal, but of course I can't be sure of that. Now, just to be clear, the covenant doesn't say that Twitter has to give Musk every scrap of random information he requests. If he requests that they poll Twitter employees to find out their favorite pizza toppings, they don't have to do that. They have to provide information that's needed for any reasonable business purpose related to the consummation of the transactions contemplated by the agreement. 
So Twitter found themselves in a very strange position providing this information, as Musk had been clear for some time that he was trying to gather information so that he could break the merger agreement. Twitter can reasonably argue that they didn't have to give him every scrap of information that he requested if that information doesn't relate to closing the merger. Similarly, the agreement says that Twitter doesn't have to give Musk any information that would cause significant competitive harm to the company or its subsidiaries if the transactions contemplated by the agreement are not consummated. It could be argued that some of the information Musk requested might have been used to harm their business, as it would appear that Musk was using the information he received for that very purpose. Anyhow, last Friday, Musk finally announced that he planned to back out of the deal to buy Twitter, claiming several breaches of the merger agreement. According to Elon Musk's lawyer's letter, the great man requested not just data on bots, but also a variety of board materials, including a working bottoms-up financial model for 2022, a budget for 2022, an updated draft plan or budget, and a working copy of Goldman Sachs's valuation model underlying its fairness opinion. A bit of an odd thing to request, but okay. His lawyer complains that Twitter only provided a PDF copy of Goldman Sachs's final board presentation, not the raw PowerPoint and Excel that I guess Elon wanted. Just to be clear, Goldman most likely only gave a PDF of the presentation to Twitter. Banks don't usually deliver the Excel, PowerPoint, and Word files in such cases. When you read the letter from Elon Musk's law firm, one of the top law firms in the United States, I should add, the wording alone shows you the shaky foundation his law firm knows this argument is built upon. Phrases like, causes Mr. Musk to strongly believe, and wildly higher than 5%, lack the specific language a lawyer uses when they're presenting a strong case. In many ways, I feel sorry for them, but then again, they are getting paid. Musk's lawyers in their letter accuse Twitter of breaking another covenant as well, as Twitter is required to use its commercially reasonable efforts to conduct the business of the company and its subsidiaries in the ordinary course of business between signing and closing, and the letter says that Twitter violated this covenant by laying off a number of staff members. When we look at the merger agreement, however, we can see that Twitter negotiated for itself a right to hire and fire employees at all levels, including executives, without having to seek the buyer's consent. So once again, not a great argument. Twitter's lawyers, of course, fired back on Tuesday, filing a lawsuit in Delaware Chancery Court to force Elon Musk to honor the $44 billion agreement. Twitter's lawyers said Musk's claims were pretexts and lack any merit. They argued Musk was trying to back out of the deal rather than bear the cost of the route in tech stocks. Reading the complaint, it says, having mounted a public spectacle to put Twitter in play and having proposed and then signed a seller-friendly merger agreement, Musk apparently believes that he, unlike every other party subject to Delaware contract law, is free to change his mind 
trash the company, disrupt its operations, destroy stockholder value, and walk away. The complaint accuses Musk of a long list of material contractual breaches that have cast a pall over Twitter and its business, including putting the deal on hold, pending satisfaction of imaginary conditions, breaching financing obligations, and misusing confidential information. The lawsuit, of course, contained pictures of numerous tweets in which Musk mocked Twitter and its leadership, which its lawyers allege violated an obligation in the agreement not to disparage the company. The company's lawyers asked the court to fast-track a trial for September so that the deal could close on schedule in October. In the complaint, Twitter dismissed Musk's fake accounts claim, describing Musk's reasons for reneging on the deal as a model of hypocrisy. Musk texted Taylor, the chairman of Twitter's board, in April to say that purging fake users could only be done if Twitter was a private company because it would make the numbers look terrible, according to the complaint. Twitter's lawsuit referenced speculation that Musk's offer to buy the company may have been a ruse gone too far. For Musk, it would seem Twitter, the interests of its stockholders, the transaction Musk agreed to, and the court processes to enforce it all, constitute an elaborate joke. That's the very argument that I made in my podcast on April 20th, when the deal was first announced. Hopefully it'll be used in evidence. It's a worrying idea that when Elon gets bored, he amuses himself by pretending to do leverage buyouts with the number 420 included in the buyout price. This might just be something we need to get used to, though. Okay, so what might happen going forward? Well, there are lots of people arguing that this whole deal was an elaborate ruse to allow Musk to sell a big chunk of his Tesla stock at a high price, basically an excuse to sell without tanking the stock price. I don't actually think that that is the case. I think that on a whim he decided that he wanted to buy Twitter and then quickly changed his mind. Others are arguing that he's simply negotiating and actually wants to buy Twitter, but at a lower price than he initially bid. I'm not sure that this is true either. It appears that he just wants out of the deal at this point. So if this goes to court, there are two possible outcomes. One is that Musk gets out of the deal, just paying the $1 billion breakup fee. And the other is that the court will order Musk to buy Twitter at the contractually agreed upon price. It would be quite an interesting and unusual situation if he ended up owning the company that he spent months trashing and driving advertisers away from with his claims of fraud. And should this happen, he would likely have to sell more of his Tesla stock to close the deal, which would likely make Tesla shareholders unhappy. Now, these are the only two things that can happen if this goes to court. All the Elon Musk stuff about unearthing fraud during discovery is nonsense, and because of the binary nature of these two outcomes, it's possibly more likely that the two parties settle for something in between. Maybe Musk settles to buy for a price lower than 54.20 per share, but still using numbers that he finds funny. Or maybe he pays a significantly larger fee than $1 billion to walk away from the deal. 
If Twitter's board agree to too low of a number, they could face a shareholder lawsuit. One thing we can be sure of is there will be a lot of drama going forward. For me, I'm hoping to never make another podcast about this deal. Maybe I'll just tweet memes about it instead. Just to be clear, I have no position in the securities of any of the companies referenced in this podcast, and I mostly don't care about the outcome, other than that I find it interesting and amusing. When you look at the price of Twitter right now, it's trading at around $37 a share, you can tell that the market has very little confidence that this dumpster fire of a deal will close. Leveraged buyouts tend to work much better and be a lot more predictable when the buyer appears to be even somewhat serious about the desire to buy the company in question. The price of Twitter's stock never went anywhere near the terms of the deal after it was announced, simply because no one takes any of this seriously. Possibly the biggest giveaway was the silly price that he picked for the acquisition, 5420. As I said on day one, the whole thing is just dumb. Now things could of course get a lot weirder. If the court orders Musk to buy Twitter at 54.20 a share and he then just refuses, it could be quite a sticky situation. It would be extremely problematic if the court lets him off the hook with a billion dollar fee with such a thin and transparent argument as it would call into question the predictability of Delaware merger agreements and entirely undermine the rule of law. It's additionally possible that the SEC could get involved in this whole mess, as Musk already broke securities laws when he bought his 9% stake without disclosing it as is legally required. The financial penalties that the SEC can charge for his various transgressions would be quite small, especially for someone as wealthy as Musk, and that's possibly why he constantly mocks them. But the SEC does have the ability to ban Musk from running a publicly listed company if they feel it's necessary, and this is something they threatened him with at the time of his last stoner-themed imaginary leveraged buyout. Obviously, it's a total disaster for a public company to have a billionaire turn up, jokingly pretend to do a leverage buyout, accuse the firm of being a fraudulent enterprise, waste half a year of management time, cause employees to quit, demand private corporate data, drive away customers and then back out of the deal posting a dopey meme on their own website. Anyhow, that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.